Victor, perhaps let's start with Ethiopia. I know that there has been some protest violence in the past um, two weeks or so. And uh, as this uh, occurs, the Internet seems to be the target for diminishing or just completely ending communication within Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. What is the significance of this shutting down the Internet? Morning, Sepiso. This is a very, very disturbing trend across the African continent that when there's a violence, where there's a threat of political dissent or any kind of activism, governments tend to believe they can shut down the Internet. Now, background, this is the second time Ethiopia is doing it this year during the times of unrest. The current prime minister, Tsepiso, was head of intelligence, I can say, before he became prime minister, 41-year-old. You know I'm a big fan of his. Unfortunately, Ethiopia has come from the background of the people of Romia and a lot of other ethnic groups feeling left out of the mainstream politics. And they have been protesting, and they have been saying, well, you, you are, it's ethnic clashes, but they obviously are frustrating his efforts, and he has done very well since he took over four months ago. But unfortunately, when you shut down the Internet, the explanation is not quite what people are getting. They, they are giving a very mundane explanation. Oh, no, the danger of allowing information and people. So they're saying they are controlling misinformation. They are in, in, in enabling law enforcement. But unfortunately, when people are shutting down the Internet, journalists who have had a long history of being harassed in Ethiopia are saying, well, this is just one way of trying to control us some more. It's a, very, it's a catch-22 classic because, as I say, Abe Ahmed as prime minister has done very well reforming, but unfortunately people aren't going to do what he tells them. There's a history of ethnic clashes, and he finds himself having to resort to the very same tactics of the old regime that will shut down the information. They're hoping, mm. hoping that this will contain the misinformation and the spread of hate speech among the different ethnic groups. But as I say, journalists are seeing a different angle to this because they have suffered before. All right, let's uh, go to Zambia now. There is uh, the offering of tax tax increases, and it seems that the uh, copper production sector may suffer as a result of that. What exactly is the proposal? You know what? This is the age-old curse of Zambia. Zambia is the top producer in Africa. The problem is, for the past, I can tell you, the past 15 years, ever since I started watching African business issues, Zambia has had one weakness, and that has been to be inconsistent in changing their royalties regime. One day they will say we will increase the royalties. The other day they will say we want a windfall, that if the prices of copper go up, and then you are making a lot more money. We want a bigger share of that. There's nothing wrong with any tax regime. And as I say, it's not a new thing. The government of Edgar Lungu, the government of Mwanawasa, the government of all the presidents that I've seen in the past 10 years have always come in and tried to say when there's a better regime and the prices are recovering, they start wanting to collect more taxes or they want to change the royalties regime, which is the, the mining companies of Zambia are saying, we don't mind what you do, just have one one regime and stick to it and it looks like this always eludes the government of Zambia. So the Chamber of Mines President Nathan Chisimba saying there's nothing wrong with what you want to do, we just want stability. At the moment, for the past ten years we have had instability and it's had in the industry. This has gone so far, Tsepiso, 
as relegating Zambia to being the second biggest producer in the, in the African continent. It used to be number one, and it got overtaken by DRC. So let's just uh, go to uh, Zambia's neighbor, and that is Zimbabwe. A very interesting story in the sense that uh, one would think uh, peculiar were you reading it several yeah. years ago that uh, the courts have ordered invaders, invaders to vacate the land of a white farmer. Mm. You know, when President Mnangawa uh, took over in, in November last year, one thing he promised, was that we agree that land reform is necessary, but there are people who on the back of this land reform have illegally occupied land. And he said any farmer, he promised that, I remember in the inaugural speech in November, that any farmer who has been illegally removed or who has had their farm illegally occupied will be entitled to some compensation, including the removal of the illegal occupiers, if we can say. So somewhere in Gormans, there's a court, a Zimbabwean court has had a landmark case where they ordered that the, the Hector Ludic and the, the Ludic family, I think, who had filed an application in response to that and saying, well, we want to retain the land. We have been taken over by people who didn't follow the channels. Now, even in the times of President Mugabe, former President Mugabe, there were legal channels of getting farms, and this one is an illegal one. So the, the beauty of this is by the court ruling, it's reassuring everybody that the institutions of Zimbabwe are regaining their independence and they are being part of the overall reform and making of Zimbabwe to be friendly to business. And because the production of Zimbabwe already last year reached record highs, I'm talking tobacco production, 250 million kilograms, this is a very good sign that you don't occupy land willy-nilly. You've got to do it properly according to procedure. And secondly, if you do so, the institutions are going to be able to reverse that. Very, very good symbol of where Zimbabwe is headed. Thanks, Victor. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Victor Homeswana, uh, Director of Africa, is open for business and author as well.